Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wasatch Report. I am Suzanne Sherman, and you can find us here on Anchor FM, as well as Breaker, Google, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Today is April 15th, and we have a very good friend of mine, Justin Spears, joining us today. We're going to be discussing his book, Failure, The History and Results of America's School System. Now, I was publicly educated, and people are probably saying, well, that explains a lot. But, you know, when I when I went back before electricity, the school systems were actually pretty good, even though I can go back and look on instances of the indoctrination that we complained about today. But it really wasn't quite then what we're experiencing today. And overall, my experience in the public school system was a positive one uh, all the way up through, um, you know, UCLA. But again, problems with the, with the uh, university system as well. That being said, Justin, uh, say hello and tell us where people can find you and get your book. Hey, well, hey, it's good to be back on with you again. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's a lot of different ways in which uh, people can interact with me. I am on Facebook. Uh, you can find my personal page there, justin.spears4, and uh, you can follow me along there. I'm pretty active on uh, Facebook. Uh, I also run a website uh, called edfailure.com. So it's just simple, edfailure.com. Uh, there's all kinds of great uh, information up there that uh, old articles that I've written, old podcasts that I've done, uh, things of that nature. There's a link to my book on there as well. Uh, so those are probably the two best uh, platforms to uh, check in with me. Also, if you go to my website, uh, SuzanneCSherman.com, we do have a social media bar and a SoundCloud button. And Jeff has been uploading all of these there. So you can find that on uh, SuzanneCSherman.com as well. And you can also contact me there via email as well and subscribe to my email list. You'll find my published articles by the 10th Amendment Center, American Conservative, the Abbeville Institute are all there as well as my blogs, most of which uh, focus on preparedness. Justin, let's just get right into it here. You, you started out your book saying something really interesting, how the United States school system has worked remarkably well for quite a few people. But then you continue on saying the people that it doesn't really work for are um, the students. Why don't you uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, so I think as you look at the history of uh, schooling here in America, you know, there's there's been a lot of groups that um, the public school system has worked well for. Uh, most importantly, you know, for teachers, uh, you know, being one of them. Uh, I, I think I can speak on that pretty confidently. Uh, when you look at the way that teachers, you know, oftentimes you hear the, the talk dominated by teachers need more pay, uh, teachers need more compensation. Uh, but when you look at, you know, all of the totality of a, a compensation package, for a teacher, you know, it, it's a pretty good deal. And I've, I've had conversations with people uh, about that before, you know, when you look at the number of days that are worked in a contract uh, versus somebody who's going to work in the corporate world. Uh, when you look at the fact that, you know, the, uh, the, the, the overall compensation with retirement packages and vacation days within the fact that you are only working about 180 some days a year, um, you know, all of that uh, together. And then, you know, when you really dive down deep into it, and this is one of the things that I found in researching for the book is uh, the protection of unions, uh, especially in states like New York, where there's been some really high profile cases of protectionism and uh, the fact that incompetency is oftentimes rewarded and allowed to continue to go on. There's some very high profile cases of the rubber rooms 
uh, in New York where teachers were essentially paid to go sit in a room all day and not do anything. They were so incompetent in their jobs, so incompetent to be trusted with students, but yet the union and protectionism uh, kept them from being able to be fired. And so, yeah, there's a lot of groups, you know, you look at administrators as another group uh, in, in schools and people oftentimes uh, talk about where's follow the money, where's the money going? And you look at these compensation packages for superintendents uh, and administrators in buildings across the country, and you see these very lush, uh, lucrative deals that these uh, men and women are getting to run these school systems. And yeah, it's easy to see that, you know, there are people that are protected and there are people that this system works for. But unfortunately, students uh, are not one of those groups. You know, let me share a story with you. Uh, back when I lived in California and I was following the local news out there, the Oakland Unified School District was bankrupt. I mean, they, <clears throat> the kids, they had, they had doors that were chained shut, the heaters weren't working, and maybe in California that's not quite such a big deal, but <clears throat> out there, excuse me, they were really struggling. So when some money came available, they ended up spending, it was I think eighty-five dollars or $100,000 on, get ready, a logo. For unified school district. So this is really, you know, when you say that this system works well for many people, but just not the students, you ain't kidding because I have seen firsthand uh, ex examples about this. So what we're going to do is take a quick break and uh, let you know who has been generous enough to bring the music to our programs over here. And then we'll be right back with you. Music for this program has been brought to you by Roxanne, courtesy of Rat Pack Records. Radio Silence is the album and is available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, RatPackRecordsAmerica.com, and RoxanneBand.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. And uh, we are here with Justin Spears, and he is the author of a book called Failure, The History and Results of America's School System. Justin, now you were a career educator in the public school system. Tell me when you first started realizing things weren't quite as you thought they should be and what motivated you. We're going to get into the changes you've made. What, may, mo what for the English speakers, motivated you to do such a thing and... Uh, and what are you doing differently now? Yeah, so um, kind of break that down a little bit. I would say it was probably about uh, four or five years ago that I really got turned on to opening my eyes to what had was happening. And again, I can only speak from my perspective. Obviously, uh, I have taught mostly in rural schools here in the state of Indiana. Um, I taught in public schools uh, for about 10 years. I'm still teaching. A lot of people um, mistakenly think that I'm out of education. I'm in education right now. I teach for uh, an online organization uh, where I, I have high school students. I teach world history classes. I just do it in a virtual format, virtual charter format. Uh, but I taught in the traditional, what we call the brick and mortar schools. And, and it was probably within the last four or five years that I just looked around and I saw um, students that um, I, I just started to really empathize with and feel for. You know, I would I would get these students that would shuffle into class and, you know, you just look at them and, and you just could feel their misery. You could feel how 
you know, they, they had, would rather be any other place in the world than in my classroom at that time. And, you know, I, I empathized with them. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, I, I really pride myself on in my critique of the, the education system or the school system, as I call it, is I'm honest. I'm honest in saying that, you know, I understand that what I'm advocating for may mean that I might not have a job. Um, because if I'm honest with myself and say, you know, I have a student who, um, would much be much better served being in um, the auto mechanic classroom, you know, learning how to change oil or service an engine or weld, or I have a student who would be better served in um, the theater, uh, fine arts, you know, performing arts, learning how to put on a play or do something like that. Um, you know, th that, that ultimately, you know, I, I saw this from student after student and I just realized that this is not working along with at the same time, uh, just kind of coming more into roots with my liberty libertarian side. I, I was more of a neocon growing up. And as I started to read Mises and Hayek and Rothbard and stuff, I, I just started to understand the individual a little bit more. And I saw that this idea of compulsory schooling, this mandated, you have to be here, you have to follow the rules and play the, the rules of school was just simply a, a facade and a charade. And it was just, you know, you only get one opportunity to be educated in this life and to see it happening the way that it's happening for so many students. And, and again, I want to be clear, even those that are are playing the game of school well, even those that know how to play the rules and follow, you know, turning in assignments and people pleasing and things of that nature aren't truly coming out of this thing as educated. And I think that's something that should send alarm bells out to a lot of people. Well, I, I have to say I concur. Let me share some of my early education experiences. I went to school much like many children do. They have this innate desire to learn. Uh, and that starts from a very, I mean, that starts literally from infancy. They are looking to us for cues. These brains are like sponges. And I remember as, as early as first grade, I, I was absolutely fascinated with reading. I loved books. And when we got in that classroom, I would read ahead and I, cause I couldn't stop. I just kept going. And I had a teacher that would absolutely, she would yell at me and slam the book down and say, stop reading ahead. And this is where you get this example of the individual just being thrown aside, cast away for the for, you know, the collective. I had to slow my pace down because I was so much farther ahead than the rest of the classroom. And rather than encouraging me and saying, that's fantastic. What are some things we can do to expound upon what you're learning? It was stop reading ahead. I heard that all the time. So I also remember in, in high school, once once I got into junior high school, I had it figured out. I knew how to get those A's. But you know what? Once my homework was done, I couldn't wait for the real learning to start. In 1976, yeah, I'm older than dirt, folks. My grandfather gave me a set. It was It was Google at the time, World Book Encyclopedia. And I could not wait to finish my official learning assignments and start thumbing through those and just reading everything I could find and, and absorbing it. And I really enjoy that. What we're going to do after this break is talk about uh, the, the history of the educational system in early America, how it changed, why it changed, what factors influenced that. We'll be right back after a message to support our, our uh, sponsor here, Anchor.fm. Welcome back, everybody. Justin, when we left off, we said that we were going to be talking about uh, the early American education system and how that has morphed into what we have today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the early American education system? Where's you explain? And we all know we didn't have mandates at the time. What happened and why? 
Yeah, so what I really try to do uh, with this part of the book is just bring awareness to uh, people about where the idea of what we commonly refer to as mass compulsive schooling came from. The idea that it's mass and that we educate the masses uh, together in a common building and the fact that it is compulsory or forced through a uh, mandate by law, right? I mean, obviously, if, if one does not show up or register uh, to a, a school system, uh, even to register as a homeschooler, right, so that the state can keep tabs on on all of that as well, then you could face truancy uh, punishments and things of that nature. So this idea is very uh, Prussian. And again, uh, just as a real quick history lesson, we're talking Germany pre-World War One, okay? Um, and so the, the Prussians had lost a, a major battle to Napoleon. And one of the things that their uh, generals went back through and their government went through, and they started to say, well, why did this happen? And they said, essentially, uh, our army is too individualistic. There, there, there's too many generals doing their own thing and doing what they want to do. Um, and so what we need is we need a system that will, um, for lack of a better term, and what, what we hear today is standardize things, right? So that everybody's on the same, uh, playing off the same playbook and, and off the same blueprint. And so from that then, obviously, they started to say, well, what we need to do is we need to get kids when they're early, they are clumps of, of clay. We need to mold them and to be good little models of, of the state for the state. Uh, and, and we do that through school. And so, um, you know, what we see over on the other side of the pond over here is an individualistic approach to education early on. Now, there were some, um, you know, individual towns and cities that had their own laws on schooling, uh, some things at the state level, but but certainly not anything mandated uh, statewide or at least nationwide at that point until Horace Mann uh, in the 1860s travels over to Prussia uh, to examine this model because he hears about this. And so he brings it back to the United States. And there were some political things, as you can imagine, that were going on uh, with this. Uh, but, but essentially what Mann starts to do in the state of Massachusetts is he starts to institute laws that require uh, schooling at a compulsive level, again, through force of the state, uh, and to then expand that out. Other states start to catch on to this as well. And before you know it, you've got more and more states that are starting to force students into schools, uh, playing by the rules of the state, state standards uh, slowly begin to emerge. And you can kind of hit the fast forward button on this and, and start to see that things really take off again once you get to Lyndon Johnson um, in, in the 1960s uh, with the Great Society and the de development of essentially uh, in the near future of the Department of Education at the national level. Um, you know, when you look at the Constitution, there's nothing in there that says anything about the federal government having any regulation over education, yet we know how big of a role the, uh, the DOE plays in setting policies and obviously the big thing, the purse strings that come along uh, with that as well. So that's uh, kind of tell the story of that a little bit just to give people a sense as to you know what was going on during this period of time uh, as the government played a more central role in uh, taking the reins of how we educate our children. You know, you mentioned teacher accountability earlier, and I want to I want to go back to that a little bit because let's talk about the effect testing has had on teacher accountability. Is it really a, a fair assessment as to whether or not children are learning? and also the quality of the teaching. I'll tell you one quick story. When I first pulled my kids, they were in a private school 
in the Gilroy area and I put them in a home-based charter school as part of the California public education system. And we had to do star testing and my younger one had some learning differences. So we got him, uh, we made it so he could have extra time to complete the test. Well, my point in having him take that test was to have a feeling of accomplishment. So somebody would work with him and he could finish that test. Well, when I came up to pick him up, I said, um, he's finished, what's he doing? Oh yeah, he's done. I said, did he complete everything? No, all we needed was for him to show up. What? So what does that tell you? This was about funding. It had nothing to do with any concern whatsoever for his accomplishment. And we know a lot of kids are, are um, you know, somewhat castigated in their class by the teachers, especially, and they want them to be medicated because they fear that poor poor performance will drag their score averages down. I've done shows, we're not gonna get into this now, but one with Dr. Marianne Block from the Block Center in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, where we talk about the um, ridiculous amount of children that are put on these ADHD medications. So they essentially just become more compliant and easy for the teachers to, um, to do their jobs or not do their jobs. So, you know, uh, Testing, yes, no, effective, positive. <laughs> yeah, and I dedicate uh, quite a bit of, of time, especially in the second half of the book, to testing. And, and yeah. to go back just real quickly, too, to comment, because some people may not be aware of this as well, the push to um, be able to diagnose children with these uh, learning disabilities. Um, obviously, the big one over time has been ADHD um, and, and things of that nature. Uh, those students are now uh, worth a, a value of two to three more uh, times more than a, a traditional student in terms of funding. You know, when you can slap that label and IEP on a student, um, then obviously, you know, they, they uh, will come into your more money there as well. But, it, it, you know, in terms of testing, and this is something that I've challenged a lot of my friends in, because listen, I get a lot of pushback uh, from from educator friends, you know, people that I've, I've been in the trenches with now for over a decade, and, and certainly there's a lot of pushback from them. But one of the things that I've tried to challenge them on is, you know, you need to be able to define to me what learning looks like. You know, when you look at uh, what what it constitutes to mean that a student has learned something in the way in which we cram, you know, upwards of 25 to 30 kids into a classroom and we present a lesson to those kids. And, you know, they have all these edgy speak uh, terms for bell ringers, do now, check for understanding, um, so on and so forth, formative, summative assessments and whatnot. Kids are, are over uh, tested on things. And, and it's leading to to, uh, a lot of, of burnout. Um, it's leading, obviously, to test anxiety. Um, I just recently, again, um, in, in the book, even too, uh, cited a, a bunch of statistics related to uh, anxiety and stress and, and things of that nature. And testing is obviously plays a central role in that. Uh, my son, who's a fourth grader this year, last year, uh, as a third grader, uh, took upwards of four tests on Friday afternoons. And it was a buildup all week to where he hated going to school on Friday, which you would think most students would love because then, you know, you've got the weekend. Uh, but there were so many days where he's, you know, I don't feel well, dad. I want to stay home today. Why? What's going on? And you would find out inevitably, you know, I've got 
three or four tests that I've got to take and, and I'm just worried about it. And he's by all accounts, a gifted student uh, in accelerated programs. And so no, uh, standardized testing in particular does not do a, a good job of measuring uh, A, teacher effectiveness or B, telling us what students are learning. Uh, but one thing that I would love for educators to be more honest about is the fact that they are complicit in testing as well, that while you wanna point the finger at uh, statewide uh, testing, you yourself as a educator are, are over testing your students on a daily, weekly uh, basis uh, as well. So yeah, that's absolutely something that is uh, traumatizing uh, to our, our children. So what's, what's a teacher to do then? They have a curriculum, they wanna teach, but they also wanna make sure their students are learning from what their course load is. Are they supposed to stop testing the kids entirely just so the kids are less stressed out for all the uh, the the state testing because we know the state's not going to give up their stranglehold so it seems to me you know we have this top-down decision-making process of what's important for the kids to learn and are they really learning it at or, or is it at the expense of what their teachers are do the teachers have any freedom anymore in desire in designing their own uh, course materials or is everything given to them now yeah, I, I think that is dependent on a couple of variables. Number one is the subject matter. Uh, we have placed a tremendous amount of obviously focus and emphasis on language arts and math. Uh, those poor teachers are pretty hamstrung. Uh, most of their curriculum is almost entirely based around uh, whatever the state standard tests are going to be, uh, you know, it's mapped out to the day as to what they're teaching and, you know, how they're teaching it uh, and things of that nature. So I do have some empathy for some of those uh, teachers uh, that are kind of stuck in, in that in that environment. Uh, for myself as a social studies teacher, though, since my subject content um, is not tested uh, on a standardized test, I was kind of left alone and I did have a lot of wiggle room. As long as I could show to my principal that I was hitting my state standards uh, in my lessons, then I had a lot of uh, freedom and capability to be able to, you know, teach in a manner that I thought was was best. And so then, then I think what we have to do, and this is, it takes a lot of, you know, um, fortitude to do this is push back in any way that we can. You know, we, we can sit back and we can say, oh, you know, woe is us. The state says I have to do this. Or we can say, no, I know what's right for my kids. I know what's right for my children. Yes, we're going to have to take this test at the end of the year. Uh, but in reality, I would choose rather choose to focus in, on this. And listen, that's what local schools should be all about. You know, no one knows the students of a school district better than the local leaders, supposedly, uh, the people in the community. And obviously, larger school districts, when you're talking about inner cities, that's going to be a little bit more difficult uh, to be able to do. But, you know, we need to tell these governors and, and these national leaders, pound sand. Um, you know, we know what these kids need to be prepped with. We know what, you know, how they learn best. Uh, and to try to take a stand that way is, is really what we need to be doing. Well, you know, there is an interesting story out here in Utah. It was, uh, I forgot what county it was. It was down the Provo area. And they were saying, hey, we want these kids to learn. So therefore, we want Common Core out of our schools. Well, what happens when you get Common Core out of the schools? You have to say goodbye to federal money, right? So when that came to uh, to the fold where they were going to have to forfeit those funds, all of a sudden back up the truck. Well, we're not going to have the money. So without all of a sudden now without the money, the kids can't learn. So to me, it just showed that that whole argument was disingenuous. They made a stand for absolutely 
you know, for absolutely nothing. Phil, our good friend Phil Clark is mentioning uh, education, Fahrenheit 451. I remember reading that. I read 1984 in schools. Are they still assigning those books? I'm seeing some summer reading lists that have stuff like Fifty Shades of Grey and some absolute pornographic material, a lot of a lot of propaganda about global warming, climate change, whatever they're calling it these days. Are they still assigning the classics and these books that are uh, some real eye openers for kids like 451 and 1984? Yeah, again, I think that's uh, kind of hit and miss. The trends by and large are kind of what you were referencing, that some of these classics have been cut or watered down, uh, even in some instances, to make more room for that propaganda type stuff that you were mentioning mm -hmm. there. Uh, there's a fantastic uh, Facebook account called The Honest Teacher. Uh, I don't know the exact uh, name. We can look it up and maybe link it later on. But I love this guy. He does. I don't know who he is, uh, but he does a fantastic job of highlighting uh, some of the lunacy of the types of questions that get asked. And even I am surprised too, uh, when I see the types of questions that uh, he will post from I, what I guess would be people that submit them to him, you know, parents that say, look at what my son or daughter brought home uh, to have to do. And it, it is, it's absolute lunacy uh, with propaganda, uh, watered down versions of things. Uh, what I see a lot of is uh, educational laziness from teachers nowadays because of technology uh, to just find um, something online and not vet it out and mm -hmm. um, just throw it up because it's something to keep the kids engaged and active and doing something. And, um, you know, I, I, again, not to toot my own horn, but uh, I, I take a lot of pride in um, the fact that I don't use textbooks to teach. I uh, never have and never really will. Um, I go through a lot of time and it takes me, you know, a lot of time to put a lesson together, but I use a lot of, um, primary sources when I'm teaching uh, so the social studies classes that I teach. And I want my kids to struggle reading through the Declaration of Independence. I want them to struggle through reading letters from Madison and Jefferson um, and, and Payne. And I want them to have to try to figure out what does this mean uh, without giving them some annotated version that just says, here's what you need to think about this. I want there to be real, raw, authentic discussion. And that is hard. You know, Andrew uh, Avery is asking this question about research skills. And, you know, uh, absolutely, you know, I, that was one thing that I would tell my kids is, you know, listen, here's a topic and I want you to go. And they would try to Google the entire, the entire Ooh. question. And if they didn't get it on the first hit, they would throw their hands up and say, I'm done with this. And okay. it's like, no, you got, you've got to go dig into a book. Then you've got to figure out a way to refine your phrase and um, things of that nature. And so it's a process. That's what learning is. Learning is about individual feedback loops. It, it's, you know, listen, I tried to look for this and I couldn't find it. Now, what am I going to do? And all too often in education today, we move to, I can't figure this out. I'm frustrated. I quit unless you tell me the answer. And, and then we wonder why kids aren't resilient. Well, I remember that. I, I, was, I was actually in middle school and uh, the, we had an English teacher who threw in uh, just a, a joke question. General so-and-so is buried in General Grant's tomb. It was a blank question. General blank is buried in General Grant's tomb. We never covered that in class. Think, <laughs> think, think. Come on, this isn't that hard. As we wrap this up, um, before we hop on to the other one, Justin Spears, again, where can people get your book? Name the book again. And uh, again, it's it's been wonderful having you here. 
Yeah, so the book, again, is Failure, the History and Results of America's School System. Uh, you can find it on Amazon if you uh, Google or if you Amazon that title, search for there on that. Uh, I also have direct links to the Kindle version and paperback version on my uh, website, edfailure, all one word, edfailure.com. Uh, you'll find it right there on the homepage, uh, links to purchase both uh, options there. Uh, and I am already working on a second book uh, that I just recently started researching uh, called F minus uh, how schools let down our most vulnerable children. And it uh, focuses on black, Latino, Native American, and low uh, socioeconomic students. And so we've begun that process as well and hope to maybe have that wrapped up by this summer. Outstanding. This time I will have time to uh, read this one ahead before it comes out. I had that nasty bug going around and uh, so I just did not have the strength or energy to do anything other than be miserable. So ladies and gentlemen, this has been Justin Spears, the author of Failure, the History and Results of America's School System. I will also have that linked up on my website, SuzanneCSherman.com. On behalf of all of us here at the Wasatch Report, I want to thank you for listening. God bless you.